So here on the podcast, I am absolutely no expert in agriculture. I'm just a guy, super curious and learning more about not just the agriculture industry, but the role that technology will play in how the industry transforms because it needs transformation. It's one of the most important industries in Australia. And if we keep doing it the way that it's always been done, it's simply not sustainable. So as I undergo this exploration with you into ag tech, there are a few consistent topics that keep coming up. And some of those are soil carbon and emissions. I think anyone, even if you're not in the ag space, would have some kind of an idea about what emissions are and that they're an increased and that there's an increased focus on them. How does that impact the agriculture industry? With me today is Sam Duncan from Farm Lab, and in this episode, we're exploring soil carbon, what that's all about, what it has to do with emissions and agriculture, and what role technology might play in shaping the carbon markets. Collaboration starts with a conversation team, AgTech. Let's make it happen. Welcome to Talking AgTech, a podcast to learn more about technology in agriculture. Come explore this important sector with me, Peter Birch, as I speak to those that are in the thick of it to help break down the silos and drive more innovation into this important sector, one conversation at a time. With me today is Sam Duncan. He founded Farm Lab in 2016 after spending 12 years managing logistics in the Royal Australian Air Force. In this time at the Air Force, he gained a lot of experience and exposure in developing economies and a passion for the environment, which makes him uniquely aware of the issues and challenges associated with the adoption of commercial projects overseas. Keen to learn more. Sam, how are you? I'm good. Thanks, Pete. Lovely to be here. Thank you for that wonderful intro. That was really lovely. Thank you for being one of the first conversations on the podcast. You're in this pocket of time where... The podcast doesn't even exist yet, but I've managed to wrangle you on to speak to this health tech guy about ag tech. So thank you for helping us learn about this space. But um, firstly, for those that don't know Sam Duncan, set the scene. Tell us a bit about you, what you do. I only give a bit of a snippet of your background. So take it away. Yeah, sure. No, thanks, Pete. Lots of similarities between health tech and ag tech, believe it or not. And a lot of the analogies we use for farm lab come straight out of health tech as well. And I'll talk about that in a second. I'm Sam, the CEO, founder of a company called Farm Lab. We help farmers and their consultants reduce the cost of environmental projects by giving them a platform to manage and measure soil, but also biodiversity, nutrients, and other factors that play an important role in farming and agriculture. And then we help them map that information and analyze that information, better decisions about soils, about production, because agriculture is all about producing something. There's a lot of small businesses out there that are these farms that are producing great stuff. Do so in a way that helps the farmer also manage their impact on the environment. Now, there's a big conversation at the moment around sustainability. Yeah, absolutely. How do you help them with that? Is it a product solution? What is it? We have a software platform. It's a SaaS. We're a primarily a SaaS business, although we send, we liken ourselves, we call ourselves environmental measurement infrastructure at the moment. We're helping digitize the environment because most of the known world is, we just don't know about it. It's not well digitized. We can see it, we can touch it, but we don't have it in data format. And that's a really important thing if you're going to then manage it alongside these other intangible assets like profit and revenue and carbon offsets, the big thing. The way Farm Lab works is people 
essentially a toolbox of things to play with. They can map out their farm. We bring in some satellite imagery and some other bits and pieces that you can use to assess the variability of soil, of production. You can understand biodiversity and all these other factors. And then we give you a mobile app to go out, collect some samples and understand what's actually happening on the ground. And so we have this really great linkage between what's happening, what we see spatially from satellites, remotely from satellites and other earth observation technologies. But then we ground truth that with some on-ground sort of data measurements. FarmLab itself came from really a logistics platform, and this is the health technology here, Pete, which was helping people take better soil samples. Soil sampling is like blood testing. Basically, you go, you take a sample from a location. Unlike blood testing, where you sample from really matters in terms of how you understand the environment. If I sample from that part of my farm, I may have a really poor soils or really good soils. If I sample from the other end of my farm, I might have the complete opposite. And so there's this huge spatial variance in terms of understanding soils and the environment and productivity. Basically, we started off building what was essentially what you have in healthcare around barcoding and transporting blood samples between a pathology lab and a GP or a, a lavity or a insane name of <laughs> soil testing of blood testing pathology lab. We are essentially with the NR still the middleware that communicates the results between the lab and the GP in this case. In our case, it's the soil or environmental testing laboratory and it's the agronomist or the dirt doctor. Not far off health tech, and we are actually looking at health tech to gain a lot of understanding as to how this is done really well. And so our infrastructure now covers 80% of laboratories here in Australia. We have about 20% of soil carbon offset projects run on our platform today, both for soil measurement, but also for some of the more complicated calculations that have to be run to calculate carbon offsets. We have a range of users, we have several farmers, we have a lot of consultants, agronomists, agribusinesses and carbon developers, and we work very closely with other ag tech companies as well to help operationalise the soil data and help them collect better environmental measurements from the ground up. Cool. The similarities to health are really interesting and not in the way that I that my mind first goes to. That point that you raised around the need to have regular and accurate measurements that then help inform decisions for various stakeholders. And there's a lot of logistics and a lot of importance placed on that process of getting timely and accurate information, like you say, whether it's a blood test in healthcare or whether it's a soil sample in agriculture. So that's super interesting to hear. There's a couple of other points that you raised too that I wanted to dive into, but just on the health side, tell me a bit more then about how you made that transition from in that one side being, I guess, in health and then coming over to agriculture, why that was so important to you in making that kind of move. Yeah, great question. I'll talk about why this became our focus in a second. For some background, so I spent a few years in the Air Force before I got out to found to start Farm Lab. What was really apparent, I spent some time in South Sudan. We went to the Middle East a couple of times. What was really apparent was that a lot of these conflicts and this instability we were seeing globally was driven by climate change. And also climate change was having an undue effect on a lot of these poorer civilian populations. And so South Sudan in particular, newest country in the world, absolutely fantastic. We went over there and the locals living in mud huts, we had monsoons come through and just completely annihilate things. And then at the end of the six months, I got up, went back to a nice cushy apartment in Sydney and I'd put my feet up and have a beer and yeah, we might get a few 
bit of wild weather every now and then with climate change, but I, yeah, I think, and for most of us, most of your listeners here, you're pretty much okay. It became really apparent and it really drove home the need to have some impact on climate change. Now, I'm not an engineer. There's a lot of smart people out there doing renewable technologies. I'm not one of them. I thought, all right, how do I solve this? How do we, what can I contribute to the sector? And at the same time, I'd been doing a lot of reading about soils as a carbon sequestration, it's a carbon sink. Soils store about a third of the Earth's carbon. All right, this is, I'm going to butcher this, but roughly there's a third in the soils, a third in the atmosphere, and a third in the deep ocean. Actually, there's much more in the deep ocean, but I'll let your listeners fact check that we don't manage a lot of the so a lot of carbon in the deep ocean yet there's a great a lot of great technologies coming out there to start sequestering carbon in the deep oceans but we do a lot in terms of soils most of the world's land is under agriculture and there's a huge opportunity there to then affect sequester more carbon across that agricultural land we applied our thinking to that we drilled down we asked a lot of whys we looked at what we could do and we realized that a hypothesis pretty quickly became if farmers had better soil data they would better manage soil carbon. Now, why was that the case? Let's come back to the blood testing analogy there, Pete. If you have better blood tests throughout your life, you'll be able to track and manage your health a lot better than if you didn't have anything at all. And that's very much the state that farmers were in, is they were getting, maybe they were doing soil testing, maybe once a year, but that soil test would be filed away in the top drawer. They wouldn't be able to it wasn't digitized. It was literally in a paper-based format. They couldn't see the change over time. They couldn't then link that back to management practices. And importantly, they couldn't see the change in soil carbon and the effect that was having in against something like profitability. This was back in 2016, 2017, when carbon was still a dirty word pun intended. The <laughs> and it wasn't, we were entering this industry with these hopes and dreams of let's get the soil testing digitized, then carbon will come. And over the last few years, I guess what we've seen is really a big driver from the other side, which is this carbon offset thing. So now it's like people do want to manage carbon, not just soils, because there's a financial product linked to it, which is fantastic, can be a little bit dangerous at the same time. And I will acknowledge that because carbon offsets aren't, there's been a lot of criticism around carbon offsets. But if it's done well, if carbon is measured correctly, we're not using spreadsheets and cells and spreadsheets, then it can be a really beautiful thing, really beautiful driver of something like climate change and reduce the reduction in climate change. That's why we started where we fit into it. And now we've taken that measurement approach and really taken off in the carbon space and also the nature-based solutions space. So with biodiversity projects being run on farm lab, we're doing measurements for turtles, for frogs for birds, for koalas, all sorts of things. Yeah, it's quite interesting. Questing carbon, measuring soil. I think of from the health side, you, you do a blood test, and then you determine potential levels, whether it's blood glucose, HbA1c, potentially medication or treatments that might need to be provided to a patient. On the soil side, particularly with farm lab, in terms of what you're helping farmers to do, is it just from a financial point of view in terms of making sure they're only paying what they need to pay or is it more about allowing them to grow better stuff or do more efficient things with the soil? Like health tech in this case, we work through the GP, we work through the agronomist who's often the farmer's consultant and then it becomes the data and the value proposition that we have becomes like the My Health Record for agriculture. We're a terrible analogy, I know, in the health space. But let's just assume it's... More successful it's than My Health Record. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. 
yeah. That's right. I get the concept, yes. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Those third yeah. four environmental data. The consultant that will go out, we solve a lot of the logistical challenges for that consultant. We give them a barcoding system. They scan a barcode in the field. We tell them exactly where to go. We've had fantastic feedback on that. They really love that because it just reduces, I think some of the consultants come back to us and they're like, oh, you reduce. We worked out our cost saving was like $5 per sample. And when they're taking 100 samples across a, a client's farm, there's significant savings there and actually having not having to do the administration and map everything back, right? So we make it really simple to get the, we take care of all that administration, all of that logistics for the soil sampler and for the agronomist. And then they get the data there and they can visualize that data for the client. Just imagine if you could get a map of your sort of health and the doctor could highlight to you visually what was going on. That's the value add for the consultant is they can take the soil test results, they can map them back, they can show that you've got low levels of carbon here, high levels here, or low levels of nitrogen across this part of the paddock. That's what you want to manage, not the entire paddock there, and be really surgical about what the farmer is doing, what the suggestion to the farmer is to do. And it helps the farmer pick up and understand a lot better what the recommendations that consultant, consultant makes. In the carbon space, it's very similar. We help then aggregate and map the carbon across the landscapes. The farmer, we have these great conversations with farmers where we fly on the wall, we build these maps and the consultant at the farmer will sit down and they'll start having a discussion over one of these maps. The farmer would go, that's really interesting that carbon's really low there because that's my best soil. And I thought it would be really high, but we did a test there. I could see that map. It's, it's red. It's really low. And it's a really great thing because the, farmers, the farmer starts to identify their, their management history and vice versa. They'll go, and the carbon's really high there. I had a mixed species pasture in that part of the field and I can see it's actually responding. Fantastic. And so it drives good behavior and it helps them understand and it depends what they're after in the carbon space it helps them understand what drives down carbon nutrients it helps them understand where maybe focus their attention on and fertilizer applications and these other things it's one of the power i think it's one of the really great things about visualizing a lot of what we have in spreadsheets today through maps and particularly across the landscape it's a really useful tool for changing behavior there's always something really powerful about taking what could potentially be complex or detailed information and presenting it in a a visual or a simple way that then can create, it may not necessarily tell you the answer, but it then gives you the information needed to then take the next steps from there and inform good decisions from there. So, yeah. Like you can't, don't underestimate the power of your good, like of user interface, user experience, the ability to visualize something and sort of tell a story through the data. There's a lot of data out there. And we get criticized a lot, especially in ag, about having too much data to use and manage. But if you can, I think a lot of the time it's not about having too much data, it's about presenting the right data in the right way to make an informed decision out of. We're still very immature in ag with all of the data that we've got. There's plenty of opportunity. We're seeing a lot of ag tech companies focused on animal measurement, measuring cattle weights, measuring virtual fencing companies, measuring and monitoring the movement of cattle around paddocks and stuff. Now, there's a lot of data there. and really, We're only at the very tip of the iceberg in terms of how to use that data to manage production and manage the and improve the environment. Yeah, a lot, lots of exciting things to come though. We talked a bit about using good data on a farm, making better decisions. We talked a little bit before, I think maybe before the recording about carbon being a like a global commodity for producers. Talk to me more about that side of the equation as well. Yeah, great. And there's two things I think I'll bring up here, Pete. It's carbon offsets in the carbon offset market. Let's just touch on the carbon offset market first. What is a carbon offset? If you sequester more carbon than you emit, 
then you can generate what's called a carbon offset and you can sell that offset to a polluter who will offset their own emissions using the carbon that you've sequestered. Now, there's been a lot of criticism around this industry because the case has been where what the entity is selling, the carbon offsets the entity is selling, is not necessarily what they've sequestered in the ground. The criticism then becomes this market falls down, right? How do you trust the carbon offset that's being bought? In Australia, we have a very regulated, very strict protocol, one of the highest standards in the world when it comes to the measurement of particularly soil carbon offsets. So we are ranked the highest in the world, which is fantastic. We have a regular, but we have a regulated market, regulated protocol that is governed and managed and legislated here in Australian legislation and laws. So we have a lot of scrutiny put on us, which is really good. So we generate these really high quality offsets, mostly The other challenge with offsets is that sometimes these offsets are modelled. So sometimes there's a number in a spreadsheet. So you enter what you're going to do. There's a number in a spreadsheet that says this is how much we expect you to sequester if you do this, if you do X or Y. Now, that's also a very challenging approach because these models aren't always the most accurate. Sometimes they're built on data from other countries and other parts of the world. It's about refining that. So we are working with some other active companies now to help them refine and improve their models, build better high quality offsets there for the industry. Offsets are a necessary market driver because it's very hard to introduce a global carbon tax, although we are starting to, thank God, see more pressure from consumers. And this brings me to the second piece of this market, which is not carbon offsetting, but carbon insetting. And this is where consumers play a role. So for your listeners and for everyone who buys anything from the supermarket, this is a really fantastic space that we're starting to see our producers sort of jump into and leverage instead of carbon offsetting. So carbon insetting, what is it? It's pretty much the same as carbon offsetting from a producer project manager point of view. So the project is still sequestering carbon. There's still measurement done. But rather than taking that ton of carbon and selling that to Shell or BP, they're taking that ton of carbon and they're attaching it to their kilo of beef or bale of cotton. And then they're taking that to market and they're saying, this cotton was produced on my farm and it also sequestered one tonne of carbon. And if you buy it, you're buying one tonne of carbon sequestered, not just new carbon, neutral cotton, but one tonne of carbon sequestered. So for the buyers, they can then use that to offset the remainder of their supply chain. So let's say I'm selling beef to JBS, for example. JBS have trucks that they move around and drive cattle to processing facilities and then ship the meat somewhere to Coles and Woolies. At the same time, so they're emitting a lot, but they don't control the beef supply. So all of a sudden, if you start insetting a carbon offset into the kilo of beef that you've just sold JBS, JBS then use that and they become a carbon neutral organization. It flows down to the consumer who is then buying carbon neutral beef. Really fantastic. You're obviously paying a premium to the farmer for that carbon inset, but it's a really nice way because, and why is it nice? Really look at the economics of this the money, the driver comes from the consumer. So the consumer ends up paying a little bit more because the consumer cares a little bit more about the environment. And this is really what we want to see because if the consumer can drive consumer behavior to pay more, care more about the environment, we can then drive the rest of the supply chain and get more producers to sell these offsets. And it's not a huge, complicated process because quite often these there's no change in who the 
producer is selling to the producer is still selling to JBS. They haven't changed that supply relationship. They don't have to bring in another entity to manage carbon for them, which is what happens to carbon offsets. And they don't have to then deal with another seller or another buyer of their carbon offsets. They do it through their existing supply chain. So there's all these really nice little kind of things. I think we're going to see the market evolve into both carbon offsetting and carbon insetting, but I'm excited. I'm really optimistic about carbon insetting. There's a lot of potential there. I just learned more about carbon and carbon insetting and offsetting Sorry. than I, no, just then than I have in my entire, no, because you explained it in such a good way. And that's so cool. You did a great job there of explaining what's a really important one. I don't have a healthcare analogy for it yet. If you can no, think I don't of need one. Interestingly, I also have an, an accounting background. What I'm thinking is who's going to track that? I feel sorry for the poor accountants who already have a tough job in recognizing revenue at certain timeframes and all the different taxes and everything. I'm sure at some point the accountants need to pick up the tab here, but. Lo and behold, this is where someone, data management platform that does soil testing and maps that soil really comes yep. in. So that's where farm labs come into play, right? This is, again, we're a little bit biased because this is ultimately all requires the digitization of environmental data yep. to be then monetized and sold. We're starting to see that across clients. We had a big announcement in with one of our clients just yesterday in the cotton space, who's now getting into insetting. We've had a few other clients around cotton and beef starting to investigate these as well. It all requires better data because you cannot and I said having a conversation with somebody yesterday where I was like, can you imagine if we're trying to do this without software? Like I'd have a piece of paper there that would have a soil test result and maybe a coordinate of where that soil test came from. And I'd be like trying to calculate, I'd be staring at that page going, how many offsets have you got? Like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, right. it'd be a nightmare. Yeah, this is necessary. Absolutely. Yeah. And this is where AgTech more broadly sort of comes into it. We don't just play a pivotal role in the space. There's a lot of other technologies that are coming out around herd management with virtual fencing and cattle and beef. We've got traceability of some of these things. Traceability is absolutely fundamental because you need to be able to prove that the beef you're, or the cotton or the jeans you're buying from that store is carbon neutral. How do you trace it back to the actual farm? There's some fantastic there's some fantastic technologies out there doing traceability. Fiber Trace up in Queensland that are tracing like they're like, this really speaks to me because these guys have like this technology that they spray like diamond dust onto the cotton bale and then they can track that through the supply chain. You can scan it at any stage and see the exact, by identifying the exact fingerprint of that diamond dust, you can see exactly which farm it came from. There's some cool to other actor. Agtech is going to play a huge role in the sustainability space and, and it's really going to start to see this great convergence of agtech and climate tech because as I said at the start, like ag is a fundamental piece, solution and reason for climate change, right? So we've got to do both and we've got to start handling both. And I think ag tech is at the perfect, it's just at the crossroads of this climate sort of sector. It's great. It's great. Absolutely. With the climate tech side and climate being an issue that is impacting everybody and the majority of people you speak to, it's front of mind for them to be addressed. So I think it impacts everyone, not just those that might be working within the industry. Really exciting to hear that that's the direction we're heading. Really early in the piece, though, I wanted to touch on this too, is that you mentioned with your work with Farm Lab, you're pulling together information from satellites as well. So I've been fascinated by how much satellite work and space stuff has been involved in ag tech. Talk to me a bit about how that all gets incorporated and what you're doing. I know, it's crazy. It's, I like, I love it. I, I'm like, <laughs> that's why I got into ag tech because there's space involved, right? right. <laughs> so, yeah, so space. There's a lot of op- opportunity. There's, I, I think, yeah, saying like 50% of all ag tech companies are kind of like half also space tech companies because a lot of ag tech is focused on using remotely sensed or satellite based earth observation data. 
and then using that information to tell you something about the landscape. And this is because ag tech is primarily, there's a, a great investor called Matthew Pryor. He's got a, a great article about how the farm, there is an open factory with, or a factory with no roof. It's very true. And this is why space plays a really important role in agriculture, because we can manage things like yield like never before. You can manage production like never before, because all of a sudden we have the ability to Look at that 100 hectare field of wheat, paddock of wheat, and go, that end is where things aren't going too well. That end is where I've got a nutrient deficiency. That end, I've got subsoil constraints. And you can identify that broadly speaking. You build correlations using some of the satellite data. Whereas you just imagine like 40, 50 years ago, our grandparents sort of generation would be standing there in the paddock. They wouldn't have those. You might know something's going on. You might go after a few years that that you might say, oh, that part of the paddock just doesn't perform. But being able to do this at this scale is a really powerful tool. Satellites play a fantastic role. We integrate satellite information ourselves, do a lot of data processing. We also use a lot of Geoscience Australia data sets here to help inform what's happening across the landscape, across soils. And as space tech sort of improves, we're starting to see better developments and better opportunities for agriculture to take advantage of that data. Starting to see more the band of spectrums that we have available for this imagery improve, which gives us more insights into what's happening and at a more granular detail as the resolution improves as well. The challenge has always been Right now, the industry is segregated. You have people that are like, Earth observation is going to replace the need to do any on-ground measurement, and then you have the other side. And we've been in the middle. We're like, it can help inform, but you need a little bit of the ground-based data to help ground truth, and then you build the correlations with the two. You're bouncing back and forth, and that's where I think the industry still has to mature a little bit. We've still got to see a bit better of improvements in correlations and this is like the carbon modeling piece right we can build a model and put it on a spreadsheet but relating that back to what's actually happening on the ground is a really pivotal thing and so you've got to have these measurements with your accounting background there Pete, it's you don't just let a public company go wild you've got to have some independent audits once in a while to check to fact check a few things that's how we want to see some of this data being being managed but I'm super excited and I think we always joke in Farm Lab, one of the things we want to be doing in sort of 5, 10, 15 years' time is off-Earth mineral exploration. That's a really exciting thing for us because, we want to, believe it or not, it's, what's the relationship between agriculture and off-Earth mineral exploration? We still have to identify where to sample. You have to collect a few samples. We don't really know what's happening up there on some of these asteroids, but we can remotely image them. We can go down and take a few select samples. We can aggregate and model that data and we can build a better picture of what's actually happening. So when we do go back to mine an asteroid, to get some water on the moon, to identify something on Mars, then at least we've got the experience here on Earth in knowing how to do so and the technologies to do. A lot of similarities, a lot of, I think, confluences that'll come between ag and space and what's happening off Earth as well. So cool. The point that you raised about how much can be automated or done from a distance, it reminds me of a lot of the conversation about artificial intelligence in healthcare and how much the technology replaces a clinician versus augments or provides becomes the intelligent assistant for the clinician who's ultimately, even though they've got a tool that can probably diagnose consistently, more consistently than a human, however, it's still delivering human services and human care and requires that professional to guide and use it as a tool. So it sounds in agriculture, it'll be a similar thing where the humans will still absolutely be necessary in coordinating and delivering services and producing, but hopefully the tools then can assist them in this in a better way 
in an environment where right now it's decisions. Yeah, exactly. In, in a way that's uh, in our current environment where increasing pressure, increased requirement for reporting, more challenges economically, having the ability to have more helpful tools can only be a good thing. I completely agree. I think this is moving the way of health tech and this is about decision support. It's a labor solution. It's not always, hopefully, hopefully it's a better decision, but it's not always. It's quite often more a more consistent decision across the consultants, the people in the industry that are usually driving that decision. I think a lot of ag tech solutions out there and us in particular, we liken ourselves to a decision support. We don't replace the agronomists. We make their decision. We help support their decision and we help support their process so they can service more. And we have this real labor. I don't know if you've heard, we have this real, real labor shortage in regional New South Wales, regional Australia, not just New South Wales. Any technology we can give to enhance the existing labor and existing capacity of our labor force is, I think, a really pivotal thing. It's not just about introducing cool technology that tells the farmer something new. It's also about supporting the economy and the market and the people involved in that industry. Just like healthcare, we're not here to replace, we're here to support and become a decision support tool. And I think as ag tech evolves, that's we're going to see more and more of that. We need people to drive these tools. One of the really interesting things is that I think, generally speaking, our platform is, is a beast. We joke that we have to do a demo to showcase the full capabilities of the Death Star because it's quite <laughs> like FarmLab is like this, it's this beast that you can do modeling, you can do stratification, you can randomly generate sample points. And the way you do that is going to be dependent on the farm that you have. For us, it's not economical to teach the farmer how to do that because we spend, we're like a team of like 10, right? We don't have enough labor ourselves to support each individual farmer whereas what we do is we support the consultant we teach them how to do it and then they can distribute and take out the technology with their own insights and that's a great way of doing it because they can then apply their own insights into and better communicate their own insights and their own experience through the technology and through the software what do i mean by that every one of our clients has their own secret source and you build strata maps in farm lab right these strata they help you identify where to collect samples or what is happening across the landscape so you might have high carbon here and low carbon here and the strata maps are where you've got difference that variation but the way you build them is never exactly the same our clients will come in and they'll go i'm going to combine these three layers and that's going to create my strata map for my clients in northern new south wales and we have other clients in victoria that are like not nah, these two layers that's how we do it and that works 100 percent of the time and everyone has their own sort of method of doing things and again it's probably like gps and healthcare right everyone you know it's going to have their slightly different <laughs> hopefully good out. I, I don't know <laughs> slightly different way of inter interfacing with the patient and interfacing with the client yeah. and interpreting things. It does become a decision support tool because the decision is still really, and how it's being driven is very much up to the consultant who then takes that out to the farmer. And the farmers are obviously coming to that consultant because they trust them and that consultant has experience in their region and their crop type and their area. Yeah, it's super interesting. And I think ag tech plays a big role. It's, not, it's about not trying to do too much, not trying to replace too much of what consultants doing. Solving for the right problems. And I can see that balance on your side of giving that flexibility and ability to use the tool in the ways that suit those particular circumstances, while at the same time trying to build a sustainable solution from your side that's not recreating the wheel every single time. So a challenge that many tech companies and founders face, particularly in, in professional services or in kind of industry like ag health. Yeah, I know. And just on that point, Pete, because I'm like, we first get into the space, I just built a really easy onboarding thing. And then people will just register. I'll put that, I'll launch that. And then it's just going to go mental. People are just going to, growth is just going to go out of the park. Everyone's going to onboard themselves. I won't have to talk to anyone. I'm a software company. And then it's like day one, reality hit. No one uses your product. And you're like, and then you go and talk to 10 people and they're like, 
could you actually just do this for us and let us know what the answer is? And you're like, but I built the software for you guys to use. And so, and so this journey is like, you've got to consider the person involved. You've got to consider that big squishy thing involved. You can't disconnect it. And then as much as we love to do that in SaaS and software and founders like just going to build the solution, everyone's going to use it, build it, they will come. You've got to have a little bit of a bit of that softer touch to with the humans that you work with. Yeah. I've heard of a lot of people being successful in coming to that realization and then leaning into or being okay with doing really unscalable things for a period of time and then building from those things that work to then scale out the business from there. So I think that's the way. I think most of the big tech businesses are doing this now. If you've ever used Google AdWords or HubSpot, you'll know that if you try and do something on that, you'll get a call from, and I love this, you'll get a call from the HubSpot rep in two seconds saying, hey, I noticed you tried to do this. Do you want to go? I'm like, I have those calls. I'm like, you guys so on the ball. I love this. But it's like, they're not just letting you go out and just going, all right, just go nuts. They're actually like, yeah, yeah, they're calling you up. They understand there's a person involved. Google was starting to see this more and more. AdWords, like you'll get a call once a month from an AdWords guy that will say, hey, have you considered implementing these recommendations on your AdWords page. And, and like the, the third one is always, oh, and pay more per keyword. I'm like, <laughs> I know what this call is about. And I think we get wrapped up in, oh, no, people will just build it, they'll come, they'll just scale, we'll just build scalable infrastructure and it'll go right up. Reality is you've got to have these unscalable things. You've got to attach unscalable services to your scalable business. You've just got to work out the unit economics along the way to make sure there is some chunk of money. You're not scaling up and infeasible process there. That's real advice and that's completely resonate with that. Hey, look, Sam, what does the future look like then? Talk to me about what's on the to-do list for Farm Labs. What, are, what can we be excited to see from you guys in the coming months? Good question. We're, <laughs> we're fundraising at the moment. We are raising our current round. We're hoping to just spend a couple of weeks in the US with a few clients and building up the infrastructure over there. So we're starting to see some traction over there, which has been fantastic. There'll be a few more announcements about that over the coming weeks and months, hopefully, which will be exciting. So we just did some work with a rather big client out there. We're really looking forward to taking the technology into the state. That's probably two or three months away at this stage from really having boots on the ground over there. And then just continuing to support carbon, biodiversity. We're seeing a lot of new stuff come up in biodiversity. A lot of clients interested in how to measure turtles and frogs and koalas and what is biodiversity. We're starting to really focus a bit more on supporting that, particularly as biodiversity becomes more closely linked with carbon offsets as well. That's the next few months. And then I think 2023 will be an interesting year for Farmlab as we take the sort of Australian carbon offset paradigm into the US and North America. That's And we're starting to see more countries start to regulate their carbon offset markets similar to Australia. So they're looking at Australia and they're looking at Farmlab as how do we do this? How do we measure? How do we create a program that Canada, for example, Canada can use to help their farmers generate offsets and create this new marketplace for their growers. How good is that to be at the forefront of that? So, Sam, look, I wish you all the best in that journey and can't wait to watch on with interest. We'll put the details for Farm Lab in the show notes of this episode for people to check out and on our website as well. And we'll have to check in 12 months or so and see how things are progressing. It's been great to chat and learn more about this space. We'd love to get the conversation going. Thank you so much for joining. Thanks, Pete. Pleasure. Thanks for listening to Talking Ag Tech. For more content and community about technology and agriculture, visit talkingagtech.com.